Welcome to the Rapid Change Matters podcast. My name is Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm interviewing top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I just wanted to let you know that I've written a quick-to-read, downloadable PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, with some great tips on getting your therapeutic suggestions to really sizzle. You can download this for free from rapidchange.works, where you can also find all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Today's guest brings something a little different to the podcast. He's a third-generation teacher with over 10,000 hours of facilitation experience. His background working in over 25 countries with a wide variety of large and diverse organizations means that he has a wealth of experience to draw upon when working with the embodied methods that he teaches. Whether it's his embodied facilitator courses or the embodied yoga principles, he is passionate about walking the walk and helping people to integrate these approaches into the real world. Uh, it's a pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Mark Walsh. Pleasure to be on. Well, listen, it really is great to have you and um, hoping we can jump straight in. And could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and, and how you got started? Yeah, sure. So, um what I do today is I teach trainers and coaches to work with the body uh, more effectively because most work with it a bit and also help yoga teachers get their work off the mat and to take their yoga a bit deeper. Sometimes I'm working directly in corporates. I was talking to a client this morning about a leadership program and a stress management program. I'm doing some coaching one-to-one, -one, uh, mostly group work and occasionally working in areas of conflict around things like what's called embodied peace building, trauma work, various educational stuff. Um, so that's the spread of what I do. How I got into it was that I was a hyper-intellectual kid, kind of genius-level intelligence. Everyone told me I was very clever. School was very easy for me. My parents were teachers, and I thought, okay, it's all about cognitive learning and knowing about things. And by the age of 14, I was completely suicidally miserable. I was alcoholic. I was involved in all kinds of unethical behaviors. I was getting practical things wrong, like failing my driving test repeatedly, which is a, a big deal when you live in rural Cambridgeshire and you need to get around without your mum. And, you know, miserably failing in my first uh, love relationship. So 17, uh, 17 years old, I was broken hearted, washed up, unhealthy, ill. And I thought, you know, there's got to be more to life than being clever in a cognitive way. So I started looking around for other ways to be smart, uh, smart enough to realize I wasn't smart in all ways and come across yoga, martial arts, uh, various other physical pursuits, working in outdoor education after university, uh, studying dance, meditation. And I realized that there was a whole load of wisdom and knowledge in the body uh, that I hadn't been exposed to in my kind of normal school education. And I basically just followed that passionately and eventually professionally. It's interesting because on the rapid fire round, and uh, for those uh, people who haven't yet heard it uh, underneath uh, this full episode on the Rapid Change Work site, that there is the rapid fire uh, round link if you want to replay it. 
But the first question I actually asked you was, what's the worst advice currently being given out? And you said um, it was to perhaps read more books. And yep. is is that why you've come to that conclusion or you answered in that way? Because it struck you that it now strikes you that there's so much value in uh, studying things that are not necessarily the academic things to study. Yeah, and I'm not really anti-book. I think our culture just uh, stresses book learning a little bit too much. You know, the, the joke I often make is if someone said they'd read a good book on driving a car, would you still get in a car? Would you get in a car with them if they offered you a lift? Or if someone said they read a lot of good books on being a good lover, does that make them a good lover? Or they, you know, equally, if they've got an MBA, does that make them a good leader in business? And my experience is not necessarily. I, I literally read every book in the library at my sixth form college in Cambridge, you know, kind of high school, if you're listening to this in America. Mm. I learned to speed read and just read every book and ended up after two years having to sort of ship them in from Cambridge University nearby. And was very precocious and spending a lot of time in there, maybe three, four hours a day reading at high speed. And... Uh, that didn't help me with many of the problems I was having as a teenager, many of the struggles I was in. So by the time I got to university, I'd really given up on academia. And while I scraped the pass on my degree, I actually had a much more interesting time pursuing martial arts and other ways of uh, other ways of being smart, should we say, other ways of experiencing what it is to be human. Um, and, you know, I've got a shelf full of books here, but one of my teachers calls it shelf help. Mm-hmm. And this this idea that you know, all this information, we can just Google stuff, it's all online, you know. Um, and yet, you know, Wikipedia has not solved the world's problems. So, um, you know, information is clearly not enough. It's interesting because on one of the past podcasts, uh, someone talked uh, again very eloquently around this theme. Um, that certainly in the in the world of hypnosis and the world of world of NLP, there are a lot of people who are incredibly knowledgeable. They have encyclopedic knowledge about yeah. whatever methodology it is, but actually aren't working practically or getting any results with people. Yeah, well, it's fun to be a geek, and um, but at the end of the day, people pay me to get a result, and I'm a practical person. I don't want to take you know take someone's money unless I feel like okay, I can really help this person. And uh, most of my clients, I'm pretty pragmatic. I think it comes first from the martial arts. If something doesn't work, you get punched in the face. And that is immediate feedback or strangled or choked out in jiu-jitsu or whatever you're doing. Uh, and then secondly, you know, I worked some, with some military clients in war zones, but or just a lot of my work's been in business. And I, a, I won't say the name of the company, but a major furniture manufacturer I was talking to today. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, you could tell the woman was like, okay, great. You've been recommended to us. We're booking you in for a two-day leadership workshop. What are you going to do for us? What's the outcome going to be? How's this going to be different at the end? And I was like, perfect. These are questions I can work with. And, um, you know, that's the kind of client I like. But I've essentially been trained by those clients from my more slightly more hippie alternative kind of liberally background um, to be more pragmatic. And that's often what I'm helping students with now when I'm helping dance teachers or yoga teachers work in business or in other mainstream environments is to uh, both to have that pragmatism and to be able to convey that pragmatism. So you mentioned, um, again, on the rapid fire round, this idea that some people might jump to the misconception that what you do is around body is body language. You know, they hear anything to do with the body and they go, well, you know, this must be, oh, if if they fold their arms, it means they're a closed person, you know, analyzing that. So how would you describe uh, embodiment uh, or embodied uh, methods that you, uh, you teach to someone who has never come across them before? Yeah, it really depends who I'm talking with because I try and, you know, but let's say they've heard of body language and they've Mm. asked me a question, which is quite common, not always, but quite common. And I might say, well, it's more like body being. And what I mean by that is body language is about expressing who we are. 
embodiment is a little deeper than that and is about creating who we are. So you might think of it, say, that your mood or your thinking or your culture uh, is expressed by your body. That's body language. But actually, your body is also co-creating those things. If they're a little bit more cerebral, I might call it a bi-directional link. Um, and if they've heard Amy Cuddy and power poses, I might talk about her TED talk. There's problems with that data now, but, you know, it's something a lot of people have seen. I might just give them an example. I might say, well, can you tell me a leader you respect? And they might say Obama or they might say my boss, John, or my mum. And I'd say, okay, so when they walk into the room, do they have a certain something? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you call that charisma. And I'm like, okay, that's not magic. That's something teachable. That's something learnable. That's something we can develop. Um, I, I will also sort of talk about it as something people already know. That's a framing I quite like as a, as a trainer and a coach. Mm. Um, so look, you get this already. You know, a dog knows if it's dominant or you're dominant. A small child knows if you're in a bad mood. These are This is part of normal human experience. We're always connecting in an embodied way. Do you want to do that more effectively? Do you want to have more awareness of what you're already doing? Most people are like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, so if you were working with someone, yeah. um, how would you go about, how would the sort of the embodied approach go about helping someone to create a, a change that they were looking for? Yeah, it's, it's a whole paradigm in a way. So there's many, many different ways in. I might start off by teaching them just something quick and practical, giving them a quick win. Uh, something like centering technique, which would just be a state management technique. And we really got quite good at uh, doing this in a controlled, ethical way where people learn to uh, notice their fight flight response. We might start off with something abstract, like throwing a tissue at them. It's a trick from one of my teachers, Paul Linden, and get them to notice their uh, less helpful fight flight freeze response under some pressure and then learn to regulate that with a simple technique of relaxation, expansion, various other sort of embodied aspects to it. Um, and we get quite detailed of those, but you know, you can also do sort of rough cuts for whole groups of people and, um, then making it a bit more realistic and it might be them receiving feedback or doing a presentation, doing something which tests that, uh, and then they get to see for themselves and they go, wow, that was quite different before and after I used to flinch and not be able to breathe and not be able to speak and come across really uncompelling. Um, and now I feel relaxed. I feel happy. I'm able to put myself across well. So that would be a kind of quick win thing that I'd use on say, a stress management or a leadership course. Uh, often a first thing I do with a client. And then we'd more, walk more into sort of practices and building their kind of more long term way of being. I, and it strikes me that the way a lot of uh, certainly t typical therapeutic interactions happen mm. from the world of hypnosis or NLP is often around looking at the way someone represents their map or model of, of the world in their mind. And then yep. you will look at the physiology uh, as almost a way of checking, you know, are you making shifts? And it seems like this is kind of the reverse. Yeah, I found that to be kind of quick direct effective often you get a lot of leverage that way i'm working with mostly smart people and they've sort of thought about it quite a lot you know and thinking hasn't really helped uh, and they might even have some awareness of their pattern and that's normally the first thing to do uh, to build awareness of that but then it's like okay what do you actually do about it and working with the body the problem i have is it works too well uh, it's just too quick in exposing people's kind of deep patterns and of course those you know talk about narratives or looking at people's beliefs i mean that's all embodied you know, if you have a deep cultural belief that the world's not safe or that you, there's not enough, that's not a thought that goes around your head. That's a physiological way of being. From my perspective, I think there's a lot of people who um, they know, and you're right, they know consciously that they shouldn't think certain things or they shouldn't uh, feel a certain way. And then you've got friends and family who will say to them, well, you know, just don't think like that. Just just be yeah. more positive. And yeah. partly people can respond, well, with, well, how, though? 
Yeah. How? How is the critical question I'm interested in? I'm almost entirely uninterested in history. I, I basically say, look, your pattern developed as a way of coping with whatever it was. It was the best you could do at the time. There might be a really good reason for it. It might be cultural. It might be familial, whatever. And right now, that's just how it is. I just accept that, acknowledge that, you know, don't make them wrong for having that pattern. I might say, actually, it might have been really helpful at the time. And do you want to build some more range? How do we go about doing that? So I, I'm the how guy, uh, not so much the why guy or the kind of philosophical or past orientated. Uh, it's just very pragmatic. Well, I love that. And that ties in so nicely with, um, you know, a theme that I know a lot of our listeners are passionate about, which is this idea that the traditional therapeutic change work models are about, you know, oh, well, you know, we've got to understand why we are yeah. like we are in order to facilitate change. And we have to lie on a sofa while a man with a goatee beard strokes it and free associates with you for hours and hours on end. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's useful to get insight as to your, what your patterns are, first of all. And I remember you telling me a story of sort of someone after two years of therapy saying, you know, I could have told you that on the first day mm-hmm. when you finally kind of figured out some sort of pattern about yourself. And it's like, OK, well, what the pattern is, is interesting. You do need to identify that. But first of all, I think that can be done pretty quickly. You know, I can do some, let's say we're exploring, I don't know, boundaries with a client and I can do some, I can do something called no posture, which people can find on YouTube easy enough. If they want to see my beautiful wife doing it. Uh, it's a popular video, I think, only for that reason. And um, <laughs> she's extremely beautiful doing her no posture in a very fierce Ukrainian way. And what you see is, you know, that's a way of exposing people's patterns around having too aggressive a no or too wimpy a no or how their no is or how they back that up or do they turn away from no. Like in a space of minutes, you don't need years to identify a pattern. And once you've identified a pattern, then the, the thing is, like, what are you going to do about it? I know in the past we've spoken about um, something that you often do, which is you give people homework. Yes, I love practices. Um you know, coming from the tradition of martial arts, it would be like, okay, you learn a technique and then you go and practice it. You might go practice it for 20 years. Um, you they might be given things to do every day because that's what makes a difference. And when it comes to, say, fitness, that's pretty obvious, right? Or even, you know, I'm learning Russian at the moment and I work a lot in Russia. So, you know, my wife's Ukrainian, decided to learn Russian. Mm. Practice a little bit every day. I do 20 to 30 minutes on this very nicely structured online learning course. And then I chat to my wife in the house and I, you know, try to make her speak Russian to me when she can't be bothered and at least get a little bit of daily practice in. So when it comes to things like sports or learning language, we really get that practice is what's important. Practice makes permanent. Um, uh, and, you know, one of my teachers, Richard Strozzi Heckler, says we're always practicing. You know, we are practicing something. It's just unconsciously practicing, as it were. Um, we can be more consciously practicing something. And that's that's usually what's needed for long term change. I mean, you can get a change a shift of perspective from a good coach relatively quick and you can get an insight relatively quick certainly much quicker than the two-year example you gave me um on a skype call once mm. um but then to really embed it over time um yeah and I, i'm not sure if that fits in the podcast or not but you know the state shift is easy but this this state and then there's the person who's in the state so um that can take a bit longer so would you say that people have to want to experience change they can't change against their will well, I know that it doesn't work when HR departments send me people recorded <laughs> and they come in and cross their arms. They're like, I don't want to be here, you know? And I'm like, I just say, mate, you don't have to be. I'll sign you in. You go to the pub. I don't care. But give me 10 minutes. And then I have 10 minutes to sort of do a sell, you know, like to connect it to what they actually care about if it's not what the HR person, the MD said. Yeah. So I definitely think you can't force people to learn. Um, and if learning is enjoyable and interactive, people learn a lot quicker. 
uh, rather than from PowerPoint. I think that's really interesting because I myself have done a lot of training in the corporate world and I've had that experience of turning up and having a room full of people with their arms folded looking at me with the stony eyes going, why are you here? Yeah, yeah, um, you're not going to make us do a role play, are you? It's, yeah. the, it's the same question every time, yeah. Absolutely. And I would say, no, no, but I use an interactive storytelling narrative technique. <laughs> I say, no, I do a real play. It's much scarier. <laughs> I like it. So why do you think, certainly in the corporate world, people, are, is it just that they've seen, they've been PowerPointed to death previously? And I think we're not stupid, you know, like if a child wants to learn something, it, it doesn't ask you for a book on it necessarily. It might as well, but they're like, show me, you know, that's what my niece will do when I'm doing something. She'll copy me. Uh, she'll get me to explain something. Uh, I think they have a, a kids have an intuitive understanding of what learning is and how it works. They're learning machines, and even as adults, we can't quite bash that out of them through you know 18 years of education or however long it is for them. Um, so I think they're smart, and they're just you know realizing that sitting watching PowerPoint slides in a dark room is not a good use of their time. I quite agree. I quite agree. In terms of if people wanted to get in, into or interested around. Uh, and you're a coach you wanted to, to work with, more with the body yeah where do you think they should start how do you think they should uh, approach that yeah I mean there's lots of ways in obviously we've developed some you know in terms of my own courses coming to a one-day course we've got loads of free YouTube videos but I mean just stuff that anyone can do pay attention to your own body that's the first thing right if you're not aware of your own body then it's a bit tricky the rest of it learn some kind of basic self-regulatory techniques um, that you can use, you know, even if it's just for yourself before you do a coaching call. Like um, we had a little Wi-Fi problem just now and I just, you know, kind of sat a bit and I was a little bit like, oh shit, what's going on? And I managed to trap my finger between my chair and my desk and almost break it. And, um, you know, for, for about five seconds, I was pretty triggered. And then it was just like, okay, breathe, relax, soften. I want to make the most of this interview. It doesn't look like my finger's broken. I'll pay attention more to it later. Um, so some sort of self-regulatory techniques paying attention to clients like if you just actually look at clients bodies they'll tell you a lot like have they stopped breathing when you ask them a question or whatever it is um and then get a body practice so I, I can get really really specific about body practices and what to do and how and who should do what and under what conditions and blah 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 but any body practice is helpful like you know i just did a lunchtime yoga class it was a pretty standard yoga class but it's just got me a bit more back in my body, a bit more embodied in that sense of the word, meaning just just you know, body aware feeling uh, for the rest of the afternoon, which is going to help my afternoon. And, you know, that's something I'd highly recommend is doing a yoga class a few times a week or a Tai Chi class. Or, you know, if you're maybe more vigorous and you want to do a martial arts class or a dance class, great. But, you know, do something where you're moving and feeling with movement. They're the two things there. So not just moving, but feeling with movement. So not. I don't know, on a tread machine in a gym watching TV where you run, uh, but actually feeling the body, moving the body, and that is going to help your coaching. I don't know a single coach who's done that and regretted it. So I'm, I'm really interested about something you just said, um, which is this idea that when you're working with someone or you're watching someone, you could be watching them and their body could be telling you so much. And yeah. I'm wondering how much of the information they're telling you or their body yep. is telling you is conscious 
you kind of going, oh, well, they're doing that. And it's, oh, that must mean that. Or it's just you've done it for so long and the practice that you've done up until now means that you're getting, uh, dare I say, unconscious intuitions uh, about what's going on for them based on that. Nice question. Nice question. Um, so there's two ways of doing it. Like we could call it body reading, if you will. Anyway, like I said before, a cat does this, a dog does this, a child does this. Actually, a cat doesn't give a shit, but a dog does it. And, um, you know, this is a natural skill and you can get better at it. One way to do it is more cognitively where you're looking at body structures and you're going, OK, what what's going on there? Um, and you have models to do that, which I can teach people, you know, it's simple things like introverts tend to have their feet pointing a bit more in, extroverts tend to having their feet pointing out. But you've got to be aware there's got to be a humility around this because they could have just done ballet. They could have broken their legs in a certain way. Mm. Uh, it could be the day they're having or the culture they're from. There's layers of embodiment around situation, culture. You know, you, you, the first time I meet a client, you don't necessarily know what you're looking at because it's just the first time you met them. Um, and then there is that intuitive sense, which is just, you know, the mirror neurons kicking off and you're feeling in your own body what's happening to them. But you still have to be paying attention to their body and your body. Right. That, that attentional piece is really key. So even if it was not conscious, there's still that sense of having built the skill and it is a skill of observing others and tuning into your own embodiment. Because on the rapid fire round, you talked uh, about uh, without sounding cliched or cheesy, you said, um, just uh, being less cognitive and having more embodied self-love yes i mean i, I certainly am not anti-cognitive i don't want people to get that uh, i think the culture balance that way uh but you know i'm certainly rigorous in my thinking and logic and reason are a big part of my work and there was a sort of 60s body movement 60s and 70s of being very anti hey man you've just got to feel it's all about the body and, I, you know, that's not so useful. It is also important to be rigorous and to analyze and to, you know, look at studies and data and blah, 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 the more objective external world. Um, however, generally, like most people, because of the certain pressures in the modern world, uh, I'm not paying as much attention to my body as would potentially be healthy where I just to be sitting on Facebook all day or on my emails all day or chatting to clients all day. Um, so certainly it can be help, helpful to balance out that sort of cultural leaning with some kind of conscious practice. And so, yeah, a lot of it does come back to self-love. And as I say, it can sound like a cliche, but often when I look at like, okay, why isn't the client doing something? They're like, are they just really tuning into themselves? She's right now, like eating a bit too much. I'm not, you know, massively obese or massively a food addict, but I just realized I was eating a little bit compulsively at times or eating to cover an emotion or eating for reasons other than hunger. And I thought, okay, that's not very good. That's probably why I'm putting on a bit of weight as I get into middle age. And it's almost embarrassing this embodiment teacher to come back to something so simple and you know i've got a coach for this myself now i'm talking to them in a couple of hours and actually just tuning in to like okay do i want to eat right now am i hungry what do i want to eat okay is there a reason i'm eating other than hunger am i trying to not feel something would i be better off not just sitting with that feeling um you know i got triggered last night by something that happened i made the mistake of checking facebook before i went to bed and uh, I'd been heavily criticized by some sort of new agey Americans, which is, is pretty typical. They don't like my style quite often. And um, there was like a whole blog post sort of uh, that had been set up. It was pretty spiteful, actually. And I got a bit triggered by it. And, you know, I could have just kind of like ate on that or, you know, in the past I might have drunk on that or done something with that that wouldn't be helpful, you know, like making a raging post back or something. And I actually just sat with it for a little while and noticed the feelings and they kind of worked their way through. 
and breathed and, you know, didn't repress them, just sort of la- let that natural emotional process happen. And, you know, today I'm still mildly irked by what happened. You might be able to hear, but I'm not, I'm not like super pissed by it, you know? And that's the kind of thing that I mean, just, just paying attention to oneself and treating oneself kindly practices like basic, you know, embodied gratitude practice, which might be, you know, I did a yoga class today and I just put my hand on my heart afterwards, you know, in front of my chest and was just had that sense of like, yeah, nice one. Thanks. You know, well done for putting that in your day and making space for that. Um, yeah. So those, those little pieces of self-kindness, I think, uh, at the heart of, uh, what we do in our work i would i would dare say and also in terms of with a lot of clients there's a lot of that underneath the immediately presenting problem so it's, it sounds and i know you've used the word a few times now uh, awareness and working with awareness um yeah isn't there an argument to say that i mean people it's not that they they lack awareness it's that they have awareness just on the wrong things <laughs> yeah i mean I, I joke with my students that all i do is awareness and choice that's pretty much all i do um and yeah that awareness can be habitual so awareness of awareness itself is part of that like where does your awareness go uh, but most people also don't have a trained awareness that's a muscle you can train mm-hmm. you know if you've ever tried to meditate you'll realize that this is you know we have done a yoga class and your mind's drifting and you're thinking about what you're having for dinner i was thinking about the lovely lovely bacon i just had for lunch in my in my yoga class and um you know that that ability to come back to the body and to put aside the bacon for for the moment um you know that that's critical so yeah awareness is the foundation and and that is something we train um you know i'm a buddhist and i've got that kind of buddhist frame on it as well so um it begins with awareness that's the sort of mandatory bit if you're doing embodiment but then there's choice right it's not just mindfulness mindfulness is just awareness you know non-judgmental present moment awareness but with embodiment we also make some choices and people can do this at home you know if you're listening to this podcast if you're sitting standing walking notice how you're doing that you know what's the manner you know really need sophisticated models to have some sense of that and then make a different choice if that if you how you're doing it doesn't fit how you want to be whether that's relaxed or confident or you know with you i just want to be like chatting and connecting and offering what i love and you know listening to your questions and you know there's a certain state that i want to be in and how i sit will impact that i well i i mean i definitely need your help because i'm still thinking about the bacon <laughs> i mean what all bets are off once you've mentioned but i was a vegetarian so fairly recently for some years and um eventually i just broke and my body was just like no you need to eat some meat it might have been some micro deficiency or some other sort of deeper issue mm-hmm. uh, but uh since then i've been been loving loving the bacon and um yeah so we should talk more about that we should definitely <laughs> we should definitely meet um can you give me a couple of real examples uh in times when in the past you've been working with someone and you, you've witnessed you've seen some pretty tremendous rapid rapid changes that have taken place yeah i mean so again, two levels of change. So there's centering stuff I see just immediately changing people. Or I don't know, I'd, I'd be coaching someone and ask them a question. Hey, what do you want to do about this? And oh, yeah, what's the problem? Or you know, what do you want to get from today's session? And they give one answer and then I'd stand up, give shake, shake, move around, stretch out, do a little embodied thing. It doesn't have to be a big deal. And they give a completely different answer. And there's loads of video examples online if people are interested in looking at body coaching and actually seeing that with real clients. Uh, it can be very, very quick. You know, the question can completely change. You can save at least 10, 15 minutes of a coaching session of just utter bullshit when before they actually get to the real heart of the matter just by doing, you know, a 30-second quick belly breath or feet on the floor or reach up or whatever the sort of little intervention is. So there's the kind of quick changes like that. 
I really like the more sort of slightly longer terms where you see clients change over time. And it's not years, it's, we're talking months or two to four or five months, uh, where a client, my, I was thinking of one executive I was coaching, and she was very small and was surrounded by a, uh, a board of people who would ignore her. And she was sort of shy on top of that and sort of came from a culture that was quite nice, shall we say, mm-hmm. and um, not in a good way. And basically, I gave her three embodied yoga postures to do, one on taking space, one on authority, and one being more warrior-like, which is the classic warrior too. The others are findable online, but, you know, that one's the easier one to explain. If people have done the yoga, it's the classic yoga warrior posture. And she did those for one minute every morning. So the investment for her was three minutes, five days a week. As a busy executive, she can, you know, she wasn't going to go to a karate class, but she had three minutes. She made three minutes. So, and yeah, I... Just, uh, you know, very within a couple of months, I'm getting very good feedback from her. And today I spoke to her boss and the boss was like, wow, what have you done with her? It's fantastic. You know, like, can you do this with the whole team? And then she said, actually, no, some of them are a bit cocky and need to go the other way. They need a bit more humility, a bit more openness. And I'm like, okay, no problem. So I'll give them different postures, you know. Um, there's a guy on our train the trainer course, the embodied facilitator course. That's our sort of main flagship train the trainer course. And our, we're on module four or five now. It goes over nine months. So we're like six months in. And people are just showing up really differently. They walk through the door and the guy who was really closed is much more open or the person that's always serious is cracking jokes. And you just see people's range expand, you know. And I always say to my clients, look, don't believe me. Don't even believe yourself. Wait till you get the feedback from other people in your life when they start saying, hey, something's up here. Mark, if people are listening to the podcast and are keen to hear more about what you do um, and uh, and how you work, where should they go? How can they get in touch? Yeah. If they are a trainer or coach and they want to do either a little bit of this, like a one-day course or a, a deeper immersion, they can go to embodiedfacilitator.com. So if they put in the Embodied Facilitator course into Google or the Embodied Facilitator dot com um, and or if they're yogis or sort of movement people they could go to embodied yoga com. so that's sort of slightly different market slightly different thing the youtube channel has lots of free stuff so we have a youtube channel for each of those if you go to youtube and put in what is embodiment or mark walsh you'll come up with just loads and loads of free stuff we have ebooks on the site like we have one called how to work in business a guide for hippies or how to work with the body and training and coaching like free ebooks people can download and um, I also have a podcast, so it's nice to be on another podcast. Is, is it okay if I plug my own Of course, podcast? of course. And we will put links to all of this stuff right. on, on our page. So The Embodiment Podcast, and I'm basically interviewing top embodiment people from all different disciplines. So if you don't know the difference between Aikido and Five Rhythms and Buto Dance or whatever, all these sort of... Who doesn't know the difference between those? Exactly. These obscure difference, all these obscure but wonderful practices <laughs> that are out there. I basically serve them all up on a smorgasbord, the top people in the world. And uh, like you, you know, try and be generous with that and uh, present all these awesome people with all these awesome different approaches. And I, I, you know, I like to listen to those when I'm walking along. So that, that's a new podcast that's doing quite well. So they're, they're the main places. But if you're, you know, I imagine there's a lot of, say, coaches or NLP coaches and practitioners come to, come to one of the embodied facilitator, like one day courses and have a taste there. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And we're, we're going to put the links, as I said, on the uh, on the Rapid Change page, along with links to things like the YouTube channel, which I have to tell you, everyone has, uh, is it, am I right saying over 11 million hits? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of those, you know, I don't know how many of those are, real, are spammy. You know, some of those are interested people at least. But uh, it's been pretty popular. I think it's probably one of the more popular ones around training and coaching type stuff. Um, certain videos particularly have been popular. I've got work all over the world actually from it. So, I, you know, I put a few up originally just as a bit of a free giveaway and I uh, wasn't expecting, you know, some of them to get half a million hits and stuff, you know. So um, it's kind of amazing that uh, 
you know, I think it's so cool the world we live in that you can put this podcast out to so many people and me and you can spend like an hour talking and you might spend an hour editing. And for those two hours, like all these people can benefit and you could reach all these people and some of them are clients, become clients, which is great for business. And other times I just get an email from, you know, someone in Australia or some kid in Kenya saying, oh, you know, we've been using your stuff. It's really cool. I just think it's the coolest time to living in, you know, ever because of all this. I, I love it. And I couldn't agree with you more. Mark, is there anything that we, when you when you thought, okay, well, look, we're going to do this rapid change podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you thought would come up, but actually we I just haven't asked directly. No, I think we hit the main topics there in terms of, you know, what's what's rapid and what's a bit takes a bit longer, but does happen with practice. The distinction between knowing about and knowing how to do or to be, um, you know, in, in the, the, I think the key thing is most coaches and trainers I work with know the body matters, like, because they see it, they see it like NLP, it's in the kind of principles of NLP and most half decent coach training schools put a little bit on it. I think all I've done is just really specialized in that and, you know, got some techniques to make it much clearer, um, found some of the deeper principles, some of the ways of communicating it without being sort of too woo-woo, without, you know, going too hippie on it. So just by specializing in it, you know, I think like anything, if you specialize in it, you can you can develop some expertise. Um, but if, the message I just have for people out there is you involve the body it's just getting your, like you don't have to do all coaching sitting in two chairs you know like you can get people walking you can have them lie on the, on, on the floor try a few different body techniques do a bit of practice and if you start going to a yoga or a class or an aikido class or whatever it is your stuff's going to open up for you and we all know that the body matters i would say you know the vast majority of people i think out there know that it matters and it's just like how do we use it more specifically um so yeah you know this this is my passion this is something I've seen really works with people. You, you know, you might not exist in this work, but you can add a few embodied tools to your uh, to your repertoire. Well, Mark, it's been such a pleasure to have you on, and uh, I found it really enjoyable and uh, fascinating hearing uh, the way in which you, you you have this amazing tool, the body, as this primary focus, yeah. and how that lets you into all these amazing areas. So, um, definitely, I uh, recommend to all the listeners out there checking out the stuff that Mark's doing. Um, and uh, again, Mark, thanks so much for your time today. No, I appreciate it. And, you know, Howard, you've been one of the, I've been on quite a few podcasts over the years. There's some really good ones, like one called Liberated Body or about embodiment. But I was on one yesterday from another American guy, but you were really professional in how you set that up. So not, listeners might not be aware that you kind of made the effort to have a call with me and you did sound checks and different things and you sent these questions ahead of time. So I really appreciate your professionalism in, in setting up the podcast as well. Thank you. It's very, very kind of you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested? And even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change works. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those free five steps to getting your suggestions to sizzle over at rapidchange.works.